Hey guys, it's Tana, of course. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Oddity Podity. The holidays mean something different for everyone. For some, it's the celebrating of the birthday of tiny little baby Jesus. For others, it's the time of year where you get to tell huge lies to your kids about Santa Claus. But for most, it's about spending time with family, whether you want to or not. Now, I know they can get on your nerves sometimes, and you can gripe about them all you want, but if you're like me, you sure won't let anyone else say a bad word about them and get away with it. There's just something about hearing one's family insulted that raises the hackles on your back, even if the insult is true and you secretly agree with it. Sure, my cousin Alice is the town tramp, but you'll taste my knuckles if I hear you say it out loud. It's a weird dichotomy that I subscribe to, but don't pretend to understand. It just is. And one of my favorite authors happened to write one of my favorite stories about it. In November of 1846, Edgar Allan Poe published a short story called The Cask of Montiato, and it has everything I love in a tale. Pettiness, revenge, and booze. I think I first read it when I was about 10 years old, and I guess I thought everyone had heard of it. But no, I was really surprised when I learned that my own daughter had never heard the tale. So, in the spirit of the holiday season and for the love of family, I decided to share this morbid gift with all of you as well. If you're in the mood to darken the brightness of the holiday season, keep listening, because I'm about to tell you a story that will replace the sugar plums dancing in your head with nightmares. Edgar Allan Poe, y'all probably think, oh yeah, that's that super creepy guy who was obsessed with death and the macabre. Yeah, that's him. That guy who wrote Annabelle Lee, the poem about being in love with a dead girl. And let's not forget that one he wrote about that annoying raven who was super negative about everything and wouldn't quit screaming, nevermore. But while Poe was definitely a master of horror, he was also one of the first writers to make short stories a thing. So all you guys with ADD can thank him for making stuff that you can read in one setting. He's also considered to be the inventor of detective fiction. So all you crime fans can thank him for that too. Without Poe, there would be no CSI or Criminal Minds. And he was also one of the early pioneers of science fiction. So go ahead and thank him for making Luke Skywalker possible too. Perhaps most importantly, he was the first renowned American writer who was able to make a living on his writing alone. That's a dream all of us writers aspire to and few actually achieve, but Poe gave us hope that it's possible. I was first introduced to Poe when I was about 10 years old. That's when Marilyn the Librarian down at Randolph County Library gave me a second-hand copy of a big paperback book titled Weird Tales from Edgar Allan Poe. Of course, I devoured it in one sitting because it was full of short stories. I loved that big old book so much that years later it became the topic of my senior English thesis. And my favorite story in that book, the one that kept me up at night, wide eyes staring in the darkness, imagining myself stumbling through a cold, damp crypt full of skulls and bones deep in the belly of the earth, so deep that no one could hear me scream, was a tale called The Cask of Amontillado. The story is set in carnival season in Italy. Venice Carnival is sort of like Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Really, it's exactly like Mardi Gras in New Orleans. It's held during the same time of February and for the same reason. There's lots of drinking and eating and partying and dressing up in masks and such. 
our hero in the story, this guy named Montresor, is ticked off at his pal Fortunato. Both men are wealthy aristocrats, kind of like rich frat boys of the time, and they run around in the same social circles. But Fortunato is mouthy and rude. He talks a lot of smack behind Montresor's back, and it's gotten to him. Montresor has always turned the other cheek, but now he's had enough. I thought about doing my own riff on this tale, maybe changing up the characters of Montresor and Fortunato to a couple of old guys that used to come to the shooting stab when I was bartending there. Maybe change the cask of Amontillado to a case of Miller Lite. But why mess with perfection? On that note, I want to say that 99% of the story is Edgar Allan Poe's exact words, but I tweaked it slightly for clarity because the English language has changed just a bit since 1846. Besides that, it's all Poe. So without further ado, this is the story of the cask of Amontillado. A thousand injuries from Fortunato I had borne the best I could. But when he ventured upon insult, I vowed revenge. You, who know so well the nature of my soul, would not suppose, however, that I ever threatened him. I pretended to know nothing of his treachery. At length, I would be avenged. This was a point definitively settled, but the very definitiveness with which it was resolved precluded the idea of risk. I would only exact my revenge when I knew I would not get caught. I must not only punish, but punish with impunity. It must be understood that neither by word nor deed I had given Fortunato cause to doubt my goodwill. I acted like nothing was wrong. I smiled to his face, and he never suspected that my smile was now at the thought of his destruction. He had a weak point, this Fortunato. Although in other regards, he was a man to be respected and even feared. He prided himself on connoisseurship and wine. Few Italians have a true virtuoso spirit. For the most part, their enthusiasm is adopted to suit the time and opportunity, to impress their British and Austrian millionaire friends. In painting and gemmery, Fortunato, like his countrymen, was a quack. But in the matter of old wines, he was sincere. In this respect, we did not differ. I was skillful in the Italian vintages myself and bought largely whenever I could. It was about dusk, one evening during the supreme madness of the carnival season, that I encountered my friend. He greeted me with excessive warmth because he was drunk. The man wore motley. He had on a tight-fitting party-striped dress, and on his head he wore a conical-shaped hat with bells ringing from it. I was so pleased to see him that I thought I would never stop shaking his hand. I said to him, My dear Fortunato, I'm so glad to see you. You look great. But I have received a bottle of what passes for Amontillado, and I have my doubts. How, he said. Amontillado? A bottle? Impossible. And in the middle of carnival? I have my doubts, I replied. And I was silly enough to pay full Amontillado price without consulting you in the matter. I couldn't find you anywhere, and I was afraid I would lose out on a bargain. Amontillado? he cried. I have my doubts. Amontillado! he shouted. And I must satisfy them. Amontillado! he moaned. Look, I can see that you're busy, so I'll go find Lucchesi. If anyone will know for sure if it's real Amontillado, it's him. Lucchesi cannot tell Amontillado from Sherry! And yet some fools will say that his taste is as good as yours. Come, let us go! Where? To your vaults! My friend, no. I will not impose on your good nature. I can see that you're busy. Lucchesi, I'm not busy. Let's go. Go where? 
to your faults. My friend, no. Okay, it's not that you're busy. It's that it's really cold and I can tell that you've got a bad cough. The vaults are very, very damp and they're encrusted with nitre. Let us go nevertheless. The cold is nothing. Amontillado. Surely not. I'm sure you've been scammed. As for Lucchesi, he cannot tell Sherry from Amontillado. With this, Fortunato grabbed my arm. Putting on a mask of black silk and drawing a black cloak closely around me, I let him hurry me to my palazzo. His excitement was palpable. None of my servants were at home. They'd all run off to go party. I had told them that I would not be returning till morning and had given them explicit orders not to leave the house. These orders were sufficient, I well knew, to ensure that they would run off the minute my back was turned. I took down two flambeaux from their sconces on the wall and gave one to Fortunato. I led him through several suites of rooms to the archway that led into the vaults. I passed down a long and winding staircase, reminding him to be careful as he followed. After a while, we came to the foot of the descent and stood together on the damp ground catacombs of the Montresors. This was the final resting place of my ancestors. The gait of my friend was unsteady, and the bells upon his cap jingled as he strode. The wine, he said. It is farther on, said I, but observe the white webwork which gleams from these cavern walls. He turned towards me and looked into my eyes with two filmy orbs that distilled the room of intoxication. He was very drunk. Nider, he finally asked. Nider, I replied. How long have you had that cough? (coughs) My poor friend found it impossible to reply for many minutes. It's nothing, he said at last. Come, I said with decision. We will go back. Your health is precious. You are rich, respected, admired, beloved. You are happy as I once was. You are a man to be missed. For me, it is no matter. We will go back. You will be sick and I cannot be responsible. Besides, there is Lucchesi. Enough, he said. The, The cough is merely nothing. It will not kill me. I shall not die of a cough. True, true, I replied, and indeed I had no intention of alarming you unnecessarily, but you should use all proper caution. Here, have a drink of this medic wine. It will defend us from the damp. I pulled a bottle of medic from a row of moldy bottles on a rack along the wall. I handed him the bottle and said, drink. He raised it to his lips with a leer. He paused and nodded to me familiarly while his bells jingled. I drink, he said to the buried that repose around us. And I, to your long life, I said. He took my arm again and we began to walk. These vaults, he said, are extensive. The Montresors, I replied, were a great and numerous family. Huh, he said, I forget your family's coat of arms. A field of blue flowers, I replied, and a soldier's boot crushing a serpent whose fangs were embedded in the heel. And what's your motto, he asked? No one provokes me without retribution, I said. Good, good, he laughed. That's a great family crest. The wine sparkled in his eyes and the bells jingled. My own fancy grew warm with the medic. We had passed through walls of piled bones with bottles and casks intermingling into the inmost recesses of the catacombs. I stopped and grabbed Fortunato by the arm. 
The natter, I said. See, it increases. It hangs like moss upon the vaults. We are below the river's bed. The drops of moisture trickle among the bones. Come, we need to go back. Your cough. It's nothing, he said. Let's go on. But first, give me another drink of the wine. This time I grabbed a bottle of de Grave. He emptied it in one long draught. His eyes flashed with fierce light. He flung the bottle upward in a weird gesture that I didn't understand. I looked at him in surprise. He repeated the movement, a grotesque one. You do not comprehend, he asked. I don't, I said. Then you are not of the brotherhood, he said. How, I asked. You are not of the Masons, he said. Yes, yes, I am, I said, I am. You? Impossible. A Mason, he said. Yes, I'm a Mason, I replied. Show me a sign, a secret sign, he demanded. It is this, I answered, producing a trowel from beneath the folds of my cloak. You're joking, he said, recoiling a few paces. But but let us go on to the Amontillado. So be it, I said, and put the tool back into my cloak and offered him my arm again. He leaned upon it heavily. We continued our route in search of the Amontillado. We passed through a range of low arches, descended, passed on, descending again, until we arrived at a deep, deep crypt, in which the foulness of the air caused our flambeaux to rather glow than flame. At the most remote end of the crypt, there appeared to be less space. Its walls had been lined with human remains, piled to the vault overhead, in the fashion of the great catacombs of Paris. Three sides of this interior crypt were decorated with these bones. From the fourth, the bones had been removed and lay promiscuously upon the earth, forming at one point a mound of some size. The removal of these bones exposed a wall, and within that wall, a recess. This recess was about four feet deep, three feet wide, and about six or seven feet tall. It seemed to have been constructed for no special reason but formed merely the interval between two colossal supports of the roof of the catacombs and was backed by one of their circumscribing walls of granite. Fortunato lifted up his dull torch and tried to see into the depths of the recess, but its feeble light did not enable it. Proceed, I said. Herein is the Amontillado. As for Lucchesi, he is an ignoramus, interrupted my friend, as he stepped unsteadily forward while I followed immediately at his heels. In an instant, he had reached the extremity of the niche, and finding his progress stopped by rock, he stood stupidly bewildered. A moment more, and I had fettered him to the granite. In its surface were two iron staples, a distance from each other of about two feet, horizontally. From one of these suspended a short chain, and from the other, a padlock. Throwing these links about his waist, it was but a work of a few seconds to secure it. He was much too astonished to resist. I withdrew the key and stepped back from the recess. Pass your hand, I said, over the wall. You cannot help but feeling the nighter. Indeed, it is very damp. Once more, let me ask you, shall we return? No? Then I will positively leave you. But first, I must help you all that I can. I must give you every chance to escape. The Amontillado, screamed my friend, who had not yet recovered from the fact that he was chained to the wall. True, I replied. The Amontillado. 
As I said these words, I busied myself among the pile of bones on the floor. I threw them aside, uncovering a huge pile of building stones and mortar. With these materials and the aid of my trowel, I began to vigorously wall up the entrance of the niche. I had scarcely laid the first tier of my masonry when I realized that Fortunato was starting to sober up. The earliest indication I had of this was a low, moaning cry from the depth of the recess. It was not the cry of a drunken man. Then there was a long and obstinate silence. I laid the second tier, and the third, and the fourth, and then I heard the furious shaking of the chains. The noise lasted for several minutes, and I have to admit, it was very satisfying. I stopped working and sat down upon the bones so I could enjoy the sound. When at last the clanking subsided, I resumed the trowel and finished without interruption the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh tier. The wall was now nearly upon level with my breast. I paused again, holding the flambeau over the mason work. The torch threw a feeble ray upon the figure that was trapped within it. A succession of loud and shrill screams bursting suddenly from the throat of the chained form seemed to thrust me violently back. For a brief moment, I hesitated. I trembled. I unsheathed my sword and I began to grope about the recess, but the thought of an instant reassured me. I placed my hand upon the solid rock of the catacombs and felt satisfied. I reapproached the niche. I replied to the yells of he who clamored within. I screamed back. I re-echoed him. I aided him in his screams. I surpassed them in volume and in strength. I did this, and he fell silent. It was now midnight, and my task was drawing to a close. I had completed the eighth, the ninth, and the tenth tier. I had finished part of the last tier, the eleventh. There remained a single stone to be fitted and plastered in. I struggled with its weight. I placed it partially in its destined position. But now there came from the niche a low laugh that made the hairs on my head stand on end. It was succeeded by a sad voice, which I had difficulty in recognizing as that of the noble Fortunato. The voice said, A very good joke indeed. Yes, an excellent joke. We will have many laughs about this back at the palazzo. <laughs> Over our wine. <laughs> the Amontillado, I said. <laughs> yes, yes, the Amontillado. But isn't not getting late? Will they not all be waiting for us at the palazzo? The Lady Fortunato and the rest? Let us, let us leave. Let us get out of here. Yes, I said, let us get out of here. For the love of God, Montessor, he screamed. Yes, I said, for the love of God. But to these words, there were no reply. I grew impatient. I called out to him, Fortunato. No answer. I called again, Fortunato. No answer still. I threw a torch into the hole and let it fall inside. There came forth in return only a jingling of the bells. My heart grew sick. On account of the dampness of the catacombs, of course. I hurried up to finish the job. I forced the last stone into its position, and then I plastered it up. Against the new masonry, I piled up the stack of old bones. No one would ever think to dig into them, and for 50 years, no one has. Rest in peace, Fortunato. The End
To conclude this reading, I want to leave you with one of my favorite quotes by Edgar Allan Poe. He famously said, quote, All that we see or seem is but a dream within a dream, end quote. And he was right. Reality is perception, and what we perceive is our reality. That means that reality is different for everyone, so there are billions of alternate realities. If you let that sink in, it's pretty scary. What it really means is that reality isn't real at all. It exists only in your mind. Okay, that's a little deep for this podcast and probably not what you want to be pondering while fighting the crowds at the mall. This holiday season, while your family is ticking you off with their opinions on sports and politics and your love life and your hairstyle, try to keep in mind that they probably really do love you. And if pushed, you might even kill for them. Guys, thanks for hanging out with me today and being my extended family. I appreciate it more than you could ever know. I hope that you'll come back and see me again next week, same time, same place, for a little more history and a little more haunt. We'll see you then.